God is good. A lot going on in the world today. What's it doing to your stomach? Does it upset you? Does it have you freaking out to the point you turn off the evening news and say, I, I can't stand this anymore, it's too upsetting? doesn't remind me so much to turn off the TV as to bow the head and trust in God. He who controls how many of our circumstances? Don't forget that. In Matthew 24, Jesus told us what to anticipate in the last days. The, we are living in the last of the last days. And in fact, if other nations get drawn into this regional Middle Eastern conflict, it could be the, very much the beginning of the end, which will rattle some of you as I say that and encourage faith in others. I don't know on which side of that equation you fall. But if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you're going to just come apart at the seams because this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. For 4,000 years, Israel has been fighting a war for its existence. Satan has come against them innumerable times. We understand who the aggressor is. It doesn't really matter if Satan uses Nazi Germany to accomplish his ends or Hamas or Hezbollah or the jihadis. It doesn't matter. It is Satan who is behind all of this and dedicated himself to the destruction of God's people, people that he made promises that go back all the way to the time of Abraham. Pray for the peace of Israel, Psalm 16 tells us. Pray for the peace of Israel. Can we do that for just a moment before we jump into our study? There are things only you can do. You can route out uh, terrorists in tunnels. You can help us to find those innocents that have been taken hostage. You can reveal the tactics of the enemy. You, oh God, can give success to your armies once again because you are the God of armies. All armies, Yahweh, Sabaoth. The armies of heaven, the armies of earth, all march to the beat of your drum. And I pray that you would keep your people safe, that their casualties would be minimized, and that in the midst of this horror that's going on in the Middle East, friend and foe alike would come to be saved. Save them, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to them in sovereign ways only you can, and I never could. Show them your great love. And may they turn from their unbelief to faith in you, Lord Jesus, as the Son of God risen from the dead that you are. You are the answer of the world, Lord. We put our stock in, not in foreign alliances or military or technology. We look to you, the one true living God who created this entire universe, all that is in it, seen and unseen. With you, nothing is even remotely difficult. You foresaw these times before time began. You gave us Matthew 24 so we would be encouraged that you ultimately are the one in charge. No one else. So we look to you and we give you praise and honor and glory and give ourselves to you as living sacrifices today. Help us to realize this isn't a political discussion. This is a war of good versus evil. Satan versus God. It is Satan's last hour. He knows it. He knows that his time is short. Help us to live accordingly, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Oh, God is good. God is good. Uh, I'd like you to jot down at the margin of your Bible here. We will be this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But I'd like you to just jot in the margin there, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, because what was happening 600 years before Christ in Israel, God was revealing to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. And he says, this is what I have against the nation. You have forsaken me. You have abandoned me. You serve other gods, whether they are gods of entertainment or technology or, or false idols. Idols today abound. False theology today abounds. Few read their Bible, even fewer live by the Word of God. 
And yet Jesus said, it is everything. It is everything to us. Here we find the promises of God. Here we see predictions of the future. Here we find hope for today. And if you are not in the Word of God regularly, you're allowing Satan to get a foothold through doubt and fear and insecurity. Matthew 24 is clear. The worst is yet to come. The only question is, are you prepared for that? Is your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Interesting discussion I have had with Arab friends before. I say, what is the name of your God? And they answer, his name is Allah. In fact, you hear it throughout the, the demonstrations you've been watching on TV. And I like to tell them, my friends, Allah is not a name. It's a title. What is the name of your God? Well, it's Allah. No, it isn't. That's his title. Allah in Arabic means God. That's not his name. That's his title. That's who he is, perhaps according to your theology. What's his name? They don't know. They have no answer. Our God, his name is Yahweh. The psalmist asks, and what is the name of his son? Jesus. We've got the answers the world needs. The poor Islamic community is so deceived today, they don't even know the name of the God they serve. And they're serving the wrong one. Pray for the salvation of souls. You know, when Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 3, this handful of believers in this great cosmopolitan city of the first century called Ephesus, they had their idols. They had the temple to Artemis, uh, which has been designated one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They had the library of Celsus. They had a quarter of a million people living there and hundreds of thousands of slaves but a people that needed Jesus. They trusted in their wealth. They trusted in their commerce. They trusted in the fact that Rome would always stand. Where is Rome today? Where's the mighty Roman Empire today? Will we chart the same path as the Roman Empire? Our great cities fall into the dust like theirs were. Have you been to Ephesus lately? It is a ruin Virtually nothing stands but a few colonnades down the main aisle and the remnants of a mighty amphitheater that once sat 25,000 people. Now a ghost town. Could that happen to America? Jeremiah chapter 2 says it will happen to the nation that turns its back on God. Pray for revival in America. Pray for revival in America. The city of Ephesus was already a thousand years old when Paul visited it on his second missionary trip. And there he found a handful of disciples who hadn't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Well, where's the source of power then? Oh, they had heard about John's baptism. They were repentant for their sins. They had heard about Jesus, uh, that he was the Messiah, and that was it. That was the end of their understanding. They didn't have any contrition or repentance or humility to go along with it. Didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. They were lacking so little. They were religious. They were religious. But know so little about the sovereign God. You find Him in His Word. You find Him in prayer. You meet Him in worship. And these things must be the staple that holds your Christian walk together these last days. Or you will become so politically anguished, you'll throw rocks at your TV. And we will be forever divided as a nation into one political camp versus another when what we're called to be is a part of the one camp of the one true living God. And yet we tend to identify with other things that wind up creating division instead of unity. The Word of God is given to us to remind us of what God has called us to. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul had started out and then got sidetracked. Happens to me all the time, so he must have been over 50. He says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, and takes off on a rabbit trail. He's off and running. And he goes all on on this rabbit trail all the way to, through verse 14, <clears throat> telling us you know, about his being called and this mystery of the church and what God is, is doing today, welding Jew and Gentile together, and, and by the power of God, things, have, things are, are happening in supernatural fashion. And then down there in verse 14, he comes back to his original point. 
Oops, got sidetracked there for a second. So let me tell you this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. He will focus on the inward working of the Holy Spirit a lot because these Ephesians didn't know he even existed until Paul told them. Then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and all of a sudden they had an internal power support support system that they never had before. The church today may be saved, but it is often ignorant of the internal spiritual resources that you and I have. We, we say that we're Christians, we love Jesus, we've been saved from our sins, but seldom tap into that supernatural power within. We just limp from crisis to crisis. We don't pray as we should. We don't enjoy the peace of God as we should. We don't, we're not baptized in His Holy Spirit as we should. And we're missing out on so much that Jesus died to give us. We as a nation, as a people, the church as a whole is today ignoring God. Oh, it still has its religious rituals and rites that they go through, but are we in the Word of God? Are we humble? Are we walking in His love? I don't think those things characterize, as a general rule, Christianity around the globe today. We've replaced it with academia. Well, do you know what the Greek says? Yeah, it says what it says in the English. But arrogance has crept in around the corners, and Pharisees have made their way into the doors and polluted the teaching of the church. It's something only the intelligentsia and those that know Greek and Hebrew can access. You can access the Word of God by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You read something you don't understand, what should you do? Pray. Ask for a little enlightenment. But this is a supernatural walk. This isn't stuff you can figure out. Going to seminary is not going to make you a pastor. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Seminary makes you smart, provides you with a little academic background, doesn't make you godly. An atheist could make straight A's in any seminary in the United States of America. And look where our seminaries have gone. Our Ivy League schools in this nation, like Harvard, did you know it was originally dedicated by the followers after the Puritans, as Harvard Divinity School to prepare pastors for the ministry? Did you know that? And today, what do they stand for? Anything but Christ. The same with Princeton, Yale, Duke, all of them were originally equipping centers for spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. And today, they don't even offer those programs anymore. It's despicable. And yet, it has happened slow enough that it has caught the church sleeping. We're okay with that. Well, I don't know anything about Harvard, but you don't care enough to check into it? Really? Maybe they need Jesus. Maybe we should be praying for these schools and the people that head up these schools. We can complain plenty about government, I'm telling you, there's plenty to complain about. That's not the issue. But are you praying for them? Do they need Jesus? Mm, Yeah. This new speaker of the house, I was just placed. I never heard of the man. Never heard of the man before, but I watched an interview with him the other day, and he took this reporter into uh, the House of Representatives chapel. And he said, I want you to know I've dedicated myself before the start of business here in the United States House of Representatives. I'm going to be on my knees here in the chapel seeking the face of God. Who cares if he's a Republican or Democrat or Independent? I care that he's a praying man. Isn't that glorious? That's the hope of America. And you see that hope in little little segments all throughout our society where there are voices that are encouraging the nation to turn back to the one true living God. This is a supernatural walk. If you don't walk supernaturally these last days, you won't stand at all. You'll have Christians freaking out, calling pastors, oh, oh, pastor, aren't you worried? Aren't you freaking out? Not so much. Maybe you should switch to decaf. (laughs) 
maybe you should pray. Because when you call me, I'm going to say, where's the peace of God in your life? Where's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience? Oh, pastor, you might not, must not understand. Oh, I understand perfectly well. Our greatest need is spiritual. But if you don't feed the inner man, the inner woman, you will not stand. There will be a mass exodus out of the churches by some, and there will be a mass influx into the churches by those desperate enough. They've tried everything else but God, and they're now going to give him a shot. Pray that God reveals himself mightily in these last days, not only to the people of the Middle East, but to America. The leading cleric in Lebanon, the day before yesterday, said, we are the great Satan, and they are coming out for us. There's no doubt in my mind that there are terrorist sleeper cells in every major city in America plotting the next 9-11. It's coming. They have said it's coming. Why don't we believe the terrorists when they tell us they're going to come and slit our throats and kill our babies and rape our women? Why don't we believe them? Instead, we have demonstrations. Oh, I stand with Gaza. Really? Gaza stood with Hamas. So I guess you stand with baby murderers? Have you thought that through? Today, we live in a day and age where we ought to be on our knees begging Jesus Christ to baptize us again in His Holy Spirit and keep us as close to Him as two peas in a pod. So Paul says in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, For this reason, because of all that God has done in the past, reconciling us to Himself through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, knitting Jew and Gentile together, in, in, because of this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now this is interesting verbiage because... Typically, religious leaders in that day and age, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the legalists, the copyists, the scribes, they would always stand and pull their hands towards the heaven. But they would stand there because they would never bow the knee. Bowing the knee shows what? Simple humility. That's why there's an altar. That's why people often come down uh, to these stairs and kneel. There's nothing special about the stairs. But sometimes the position of the body demonstrates the attitude of the heart. Do you often humble yourself before the Lord? I mean, when's the last time you, you got on your knees and you go, I got bad knees. Brother, I invented bad knees. Get on your face. When Paul says, I kneel, that word is also translated in other places, I prostrate myself flat on the floor. That's humility. That's humility. So whatever the attitude of your body, make sure the condition of your heart is one of total and unremitted submission to the God of gods, the Lord of all creation. Because if the signs of the times are revealing anything, it is that Jesus Christ could come any moment. He's coming for a church that is eagerly looking forward to his coming, not just taking life for granted and moving from one form of entertainment to the next. That is not why you, God has placed you here. It's not about you. I don't know if you've realized that yet or not in life. It's not about you. God has put you here for a reason and a season. And let me tell you what, that season is brief. Life will fly by at the speed of light as you get older, and it keeps moving quicker and quicker. These are days of opportunity, opportunity to live for him, to encourage one another, to bless people, to pray for, for Israel and those that need the Lord Jesus Christ all over the world, to pray for, you know, talk about an insurrection. Well, an insurrection didn't happen on, on January. Sure, One sure happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday. I don't know if you caught that on the news or not, but we live in times where the very facts of history are being twisted and manipulated to the advantage of a political few. I find that unconscionable. It used to be the job of the news was to tell the news. Now it's to tell you what they want you to believe. And a discerning Christian needs to know which is which. What's really going on? There is a war out there for the battle, a battle going on for the minds of men. Satan wants to pull your mind 
in one direction. God wants to pull it in another. Which voice are you following? Are you actively seeking the face of God? If not, you're losing ground spiritually. You will not be prepared for what's coming. We live in a day and age where the next cell phone coming out, this one's made of titanium. What's the next one going to be made of? Platinum? Who cares? First, the electromagnetic pulse, they all go down anyway. Then what do we do? Communicate to each other by tapping on drums? Yeah, we could be bombed back to the Stone Age by simply taking down our grid. We trust in things. If I were to ask you, where does water come from? You go, well, I turn the spigot and it comes on. Really? Where's electricity come from? The wall socket, I plug this in and it works. We haven't thought very far down the future that the electrical grid in the United States of America is perilously notorious for failing. Rolling brownouts will buy an electric car. What happens when you can't charge it? I mean, we just don't think things through very well in America. Ford Motor Company tells us they just filed uh, to, with the federal government because they're in the hole $4.5 billion because they're making electric vehicles nobody wants. I mean, what do you, your range, 300 miles, and what? You pray that there's a charging station there? Every, you, you shake your head sometimes in this day and age, you go, is anybody really awake? Is anybody thinking these things through? We plug in our, our electric cars. Where's that power come from? Coal-fired power plants. How are we reducing our carbon footprint? It's not about carbon footprint. It's about a lot of people making a lot of money and controlling the rest of us. We need to open our eyes these last days. Otherwise, we will be duped by every wind of doctrine that comes across the TV waves. These are days that we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be supernaturally discerning the will of God. For this reason, Paul says, I humble myself. I kneel before the Father. Greek, Patros, from whom his whole family, Patria, it's a wordplay. The Father is Patros, family in heaven, Patria. God made it all. So as far as God's concerned, this is my family. And like any family, you got some kids that are more obedient than others. Some, you got some cranky teenagers, you got young ones, you got old ones, you know. And yet God says, you know, I made them all, I care about them all, I love them all. I want all of them redeemed. Remember he told us back in chapter 1 that here's what God's doing. He's in the process of reconciling the entire universe, seen and unseen, to himself. That's what he's doing. This is a process. That process is mapped out for us in the chapters of Ezekiel 38 and 39 in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19, that tell us what's going to happen between now and the time the kingdom is set up. It's a clear roadmap. You need to read these things. And you say, well, I've read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I don't know who Gog is or Magog. Say Russia. Ta-da! Persia, say Iran. This isn't difficult. This isn't difficult. Even if you didn't know where those names came from, they are the ancient names of ancient places that you can look up in any encyclopedia and find out who the present name is, what these present names of these countries are called. It is not difficult to understand biblical prophecy. It is not. But I have met pastors who say, oh, I don't teach the book of Revelation. Why? Because it requires too much study? Sometimes that is exactly the truth. Or they'll say, well, people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that Jesus is coming back? Are you serious? What, you got a better message than that? Jesus is coming back? That's, that sounds like good news to me. You know, to bring all things in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ, he said back in chapter 1 and verse 10. So you and I can say, I know what God's plan is. I know how to get from here to there. It's really laid out for us in these chapters of the Bible. I know what God is doing. But if you're not in the Word of God, you won't know. You have to be in the Word of God. Well, Pastor Jim, isn't that why we pay you the big bucks? I cannot read for you. 
I can be spirit-filled, but only you can get yourself spirit-filled. I can't do that for you. 168 hours in a week, I got you for one. And you think I can reverse a whole week's worth of secular programming in your brain? Really? I can't do that. So you have to be these last days, or you will be one of those Christians that is caught by surprise at the things that are unfolding that the Bible prophesied millennia ago, and you'll be ignorant of them. Every, the Bible, did you know the Bible talks about China and Russia and Iran's end-time alliance? Did you know that? The Bible is more up-to-date than tomorrow's newspaper. And if you haven't read that for yourself, you're waiting for what? You're waiting for what? Me to do your homework? I can do my homework, but only you can do yours. Otherwise, they call that in elementary school cheating. The teacher is watching. Can't copy off somebody else's paper. There will be a test. And the teacher is always silent while the kids are taking the test. He's wanting us to stand firm in our faith, stand firm on the promises of God and in the Word of God. Paul says, the knowledge of these things, verse 14, man, that, that humbles me. That humbles me. I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth drive his name. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches. This is a cool prayer. This is a cool prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, okay, his riches, not ours. We are not put here to acquire riches. Did you know that? If you go to some people's church, you would think that was the whole goal of life, is to get rich, have big houses, big cars, and demand of the genie in the bottle anything that you want. What a perversion of Scripture. The goal that we are here is to share the name of the living God and His Son throughout the earth. We're not here to enrich ourselves. If you've bought into a lie from some of the widely known teachers in America today, who have huge churches and are themselves filthy rich, don't believe a lie of the devil. Jesus didn't shed his blood so that you could get rich. He shed his blood so that your sins might be forgiven, his Holy Spirit given so that you might be empowered to do his will and work these last days, which has nothing to do with the acquiring of physical wealth. Your flesh is drawn to that health, wealth, and prosperity lie from the pit of hell. The thing with health, wealth, and prosperity is you don't need God. You just need health, wealth, and prosperity. You don't need to share the gospel. You don't need to humble yourself. You don't need to repent of your sins. It's a lie from the pit of hell because it cannot save you. But it appeals to your flesh. Ooh, I want to be rich. I want to drive a new Beamer. I want a Mercedes. I've lusted after a Mercedes my whole life. Check your spirit, man. What is wrong with you? Don't you realize we're living in the last days, and yet we preoccupy ourselves with things that cannot save and we cannot keep once we are removed from this planet by way of the rapture? Somebody else gets your Beamer. Sorry. Somebody else gets your, your Mercedes. Oh, what a Mercedes. Why? So you can impress other people with what you drive? Is that what life is about for you as a Christian? What people think of you? The clothes you wear, the cars you drive, the houses you live in, or the neighborhoods? Really? Where did we get so far off base? It says in verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches, not that He'd make you rich, but that He may strengthen you with power. That's the whole purpose of it. You know, the world measures its riches today in terms of bank account balances and possessions and net wealth. Can I tell you, these things mean nothing to God. The things that we value most on this planet are used as asphalt in heaven. The streets of gold, they use it for asphalt in heaven, for crying out loud. When's the last time you worshiped asphalt? 
to the acquiring of wealth and riches. I mean, every, every TV commercial, you can need to buy gold from this organization or that one. Why? In times of nuclear war, can you eat it? Hmm. I pray that God may strengthen you with power. How? Through His Spirit in your inner being. God is not concerned with the outward as much as you are. He doesn't care how buff you are or aren't or what you weigh or whether you've got hair, gray, black, white, or in between. He doesn't care. And yet the world tells you these are the only things you should care about. God doesn't care about them at all. The world measures riches in all of the wrong terms. The Bible measures riches by what we have available to us through Jesus Christ. James puts it this way, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to them that love Him? Verse 15 reminds me of, of what Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. I don't live for me anymore. I don't care what I eat as long as I get to eat. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not picky. I don't care what I drive. I'm just grateful I got something to drive. I don't care what I wear. I'm just grateful to have something to put on. There's no shame in shopping at Goodwill. Oh, I only wear Dillard's. Something's wrong with your spiritual walk, dude. Something is really wrong with your spiritual walk. I pray that God would strengthen you. I think our greatest need in the church today is to be strengthened in the inner being, the, the inner man. And that was understood by his Greek audience as referring to three things, the inner man. It referred to a man's reason, his mind, the ability to discern between right and wrong, between what's good and what's best. So it involved the mind. But secondly to the Greek, it referred to a person's conscience, so Paul is saying, I pray that God would make you more and more sensitive in your conscience. More sensitive when God pricks your conscience that you would respond appropriately with your heart. Thirdly, the inner man referred to the will. We often know what's right and that we should do it, but the lack of the will, the intestinal fortitude to say no. And that's where the battle takes place, isn't it? You know what's right to do but your old nature wants to do something very different. In your new nature, you know that you should do this God's way and walk in grace and humility and full of love, and yet there's a side of you that wants bigger and more and wealthier. Well, if I could just make another $1,000 a month, then I'd be happy. Paul says, I pray that God would strengthen you with power. You know, I find that if I don't eat fairly regularly, I don't have any strength. They call that hypoglycemia, by the way. Yeah, you have to eat once in a while. People that are fasting don't typically run 23-mile marathons. You've got to have some calories to burn. You've got to have something inside to provide the energy source. When we feed regularly on the Word of God and seek the Holy Spirit's direction in all areas of our life, the result is spiritual strength and maturity. That's why you should seek God, because it results in spiritual strength and maturity. Spiritual power isn't the mark of a select few Christians. It's the mark of an inheritance of every Christian who submits to God's Word and the Spirit's leading. It's like, it's like physical growth and strength. It takes time. It takes perseverance. It takes having the right diet. It doesn't come overnight. But as we discipline ourselves to study God's Word, to pray earnestly, and to seek His face, He rewards us with strength and with stamina and discernment and peace and spiritual insight. That's where it comes from. The result is that we experience spiritual growth, which we can define in part as the decreasing frequency of sin. There's a good definition of maturity. You struggle with sin? 
Now you know how to overcome sin. But it's like Dwight L. Moody said a century and a half ago, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. Well, how do I, how do I sin less? Mature by the reading of God's Word, prayer, service, worship. These things make for stronger Christians and weaker ones when we don't do these things. Out of His glorious riches, Paul says, I pray that you would be strengthened. And He'd strengthen you with power through His Spirit. They hadn't known who the Spirit was, these poor Ephesian disciples. There was only 12 of them. And yet when they got the Holy Spirit and they prayed and they were baptized, they spoke in tongues as evidence that, in fact, they just had a supernatural encounter with God. They just received the Holy Spirit in the inward parts so they could do supernatural things on the outside. And they would have love and joy and peace and patience, all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And yet there are so many Christians today, they got no love, no joy, no peace, no patience. And then they call the church and say, what's the problem? I used to read, pastor, and I used to pray, and I used to go to church, I used to worship, and I had a great marriage and a great job, and everything was going hunky-dory. But now I don't read, I don't pray, I don't worship, and I don't go to church, and my life's falling apart. What's the matter? Really? And yet I get those calls all the time, all the time. It is so simple that it escapes many where the source of that power comes from, the power that we need so desperately. You want to sin less? Get in the Word more. Pray more. Worship more. Fellowship with Christians more. Here's why. Because I don't have the strength in and of myself to say no to temptation. There was a government program years back under, under a former administration who, who had this multi-million dollar campaign uh, spread across TVs all over America. Just say no to drugs. Yeah, what happens if you don't have the strength to say no? What if you don't have the power within you to say no to drugs? Because you're so whacked out on them. You're so addicted to them. There's such a strong pull. And yet nobody told us that power is available to you through Jesus Christ, the filling of His Holy Spirit, the Word of God. These things can help you to say no to drugs and to temptation. But just say no was a failure as a governmental program that we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on, but people couldn't do it. You can't. God can. The choice is simple. Rely on your own strength, wisdom, and knowledge. We get in God's Word and we rely on His supernatural strengthening, His power, His ability. One method becomes us-focused. Another, The other method is God-focused. As a Christian, you have to come to the point where you believe God is my answer to everything in life. Otherwise, you will be a wreck. And everybody will be wondering, they'll say it behind your back, but not to your face. Where's your faith? You say you're a Christian, but you're crumbling like a 50-year-old cookie. What is your problem? You say you're a Christian. Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you asking God to fill you with His Holy Spirit? People lack the power in and of themselves. And, you know, I, I look... <laughs> Uh, I only watch it on TV because I wouldn't dare cross their threshold of their buildings. But I look at all the health clubs today, the, all the diet plans on TV. Have you tried Golo? <laughs> ah, you know, the, the many gymnasiums where the whole purpose is to get the outward man in shape, lose weight, and look good. Why? So other people look at you? Really? So people can say, my, what big arms you have. So other people could admire the outward man while we neglect the inward? As a Christian, tell me that makes sense to you? And yet we do that so often. I'm reminded of the words of Paul to Timothy. Timothy, physical training has some value, 
But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Gold's Jim can't promise that. Something to think about where we make our investments. If people were as serious about developing their inner spiritual strength as they are their physical outward strength, think of what could be accomplished for the kingdom of God. <laughs> Interesting. Verse 17, he goes on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Interesting original word, dwell, kata okeo, which means literally to settle down. Christ wants to settle down and make your heart his home. The year before I was born, there was a pastor by the name of Robert Boyd Munger who wrote this little pamphlet called My Heart, Christ's Home. And in that little uh, analogy, if you will, this little a story, Jesus comes to a person's house, and the house represents the man's heart. And Jesus wants to go into the, the closets with all of the skeletons, and man goes, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go in there. Oh, no, come on, let me usher you into the dining room where it's more comfortable. And yet Jesus wants to investigate every single room of your heart and clean house and fellowship with you, eat bread with you, break bread with you. It's, it's a wonderful picture. You get that bit sometime. It's in every Christian bookstore, Robert Boyd Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home. But Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. It should be the very center of your life. Not the pursuit of wealth, not your job, not your hobbies. God doesn't care about any of those things. Jesus said, seek first, as a way of priority, the kingdom of God, and all of these other things, food, clothing, and shelter, will be added to you as well. Jesus said, it's all about priorities, dummy. You make God the priority of your life. He says, I'll take care of the rest of it. You chase after everything else, you'll miss God. We are in that place in our society today. John 14, 23, Jesus said, you seek God with all of your heart, we'll, we'll make your heart our home. It's interesting that the Lord used the same word here that he gave his disciples in, in John chapter 14, one of my favorite passages. He told the disciples who were facing the destruction of Israel in their day, Jesus said this to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be fretful. Don't weird out when you watch the news. <coughs> you believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. For in my Father's house, singular, one house, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, individual dwelling places. No, you don't have a mansion in heaven waiting for you. If you're counting on the King James Version being more accurate, in this place, it is not. It doesn't say you, there's a mansion waiting for you. It says we get to live in God's house. You have a room. Some of you, a small studio. Some of you, palatial digs. That's up to the Lord. But Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. We're going to dwell with God someday. As Jesus indwells his people today, we will physically, literally be dwelling with him in heaven for eternity. <coughs> so the indwelling Holy Spirit's just a deposit guaranteeing what's yet to come. It's a down payment, if you want to look at it that way. And Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Mm, my heart cries out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Verse 19, and to know that, well, verse 18, I'm sorry, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to overflow, 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. Love is going to predominate everything that God wants to do in your life. Jesus said, excuse me, Paul, in a writing to the church at Corinth, said, if I had every spiritual gift under the planet, and I could prophesy and I could speak in the tongues of angels and didn't have love, I, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a clanging cymbal and a banging gong. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter what else you have as far as God is concerned. The greatest of these, Paul said, enlisting the spiritual gifts is what? Love. Why is that so important? Because God is love. Haven't you read 1 John? God is love. It doesn't say that He's loving. It says that He is love. Agape. It's that special Greek word to indicate God's love. It's a spiritual and supernatural love that has less to do with the emotions and more to do with the will. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put Him above all else in this universe. I will love this person if it kills them. <laughs> Doing what is in their best interest. <clears throat> Note this. The absence of love is the presence of sin. How about that for an arrow and quiver right between the eyes? The absence of love is the presence of sin, and the absence of love has nothing at all to do with what is happening to us, but everything to do with what is happening in us. You need to catch that one and apply it personally to you and your situation. It doesn't matter what's happening to you nearly so much as it's mat what matters is what's happening in you. Are you growing? Are you more loving and kind and gentle and patient today than you were five years ago, ten years ago? If not, why? Maybe we've neglected that which is most important and being preoccupied with the things that are not nearly as important. Maybe it is time for a little reanalysis. If you're not known for your love, joy, and peace and patience, what are you known for? Your bitter spirit? Your complaining? We all got problems. I could be wrong. Is there anybody in here who has never had a problem in his or her entire life? Can I see your hand, please? I want to know what your secret is. Bottom line is it doesn't matter what's happening to you. It matters what's happening in you. Latch on to that one. Because Jesus said it's out of the mouth. The contents of the heart are manifest. What comes out of your mouth? Bitterness, guile, complaint, self-centeredness? Or is it about Jesus? Is it about God? Is it about the fact that His Son is coming soon? And I'm ready for it. You realize it could happen in a matter of hours. If Russia gets pulled into this, it's in fulfillment of prophecy in Ezekiel 38, that where God Himself says, I will set a hook in Russia's jaws, and I will draw them into the Middle East. Persia is currently supplying a great deal of their oil. So while we're telling Persia to cut back oil production, we're also trying to prop it up by not enforcing sanctions because it would have a deleterious effect on the world oil of, world's price of oil and gas prices that go up, and that's not popular in an election year. I'm sorry to tell you the truth. That's a fact. You don't have to take my word for it. Do a little homework. Do your own homework. I did. I did. Love is truly the foundation of all of Christianity. If I don't have that as a foundation of my life, uh, there's something wrong with the root system. I'm not deeply bedded in, into Jesus Christ. That's what we should allow ourselves to do through the study of His Word and prayer and fellowship and worship. We allow our roots to grow deep into the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses uh, in this verse a very common agricultural expression uh, of the whole root system of a tree. Look at verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established uh, it's through the roots that a tree draws its source of life. Moisture and, and nourishment are drawn up from the soil by the roots. You knew that. 
where the Christian gets his source of nutrition from is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you drink of my blood and eat of my body, that's intimate identification with him. He's not advocating cannibalism, but intimacy. The roots anchor the plant to the ground. Otherwise, a tree could never stand. It would just blow away. In fact, did you know that the giant, the tallest trees on planet Earth are found up in, north, uh, in the northwest, specifically in northern California? Uh, Kings Valley up there and the giant sequoia, the Redwood National Forest. Do you realize those 300-foot trees? They're tall as a 30-story building. They have no taproot. They have no taproot. They only root down into the soil, on average, 12 to 14 feet, even at full maturity. But a mature sequoia roots can occupy over an acre of ground and contain over 90,000 cubic feet of soil. And that mass of matted roots and soil has to maintain the equilibrium of the tree uh, that may live to be well over hundreds of years old and 300 feet tall. The, this, the largest ones, the three largest trees on planet Earth, uh, weigh on average of about 2 million pounds. Why? Good root system. What's yours look like? How rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word and prayer are you? Or does your tree blow over with the slightest breeze? We've seen things like that in Colorado time enough to know what that means. What does it take to topple you, to shake your faith? How, how deep do your roots go? How wide do they spread? And are they founded and grounded in Christ Jesus Himself? And what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in the heart. I pray that you might be rooted and established in what? Love, not knowledge. We try to impress each other with what we know whether it's sports, statistics, or a variety of other things, you should be known for your love. Jesus said this, by, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love, love one another. Just love each other. That's why we have our fellowship time. Say hi to somebody you don't know. Love on them. Can I pray for you about something? Hug their neck. They may have cooties. Pray the cooties out of them. Without love, all of my spiritual confessions, gifts, talents, and abilities, they mean nothing. Without love, it doesn't matter what else you have. John tells us that it's not just what you verbalize. There's lots of people that know the right things to say. We've got the spiritual jargon down to a science. The problem is that's just words. Is love seen in our actions? can say I love you, but do I love you? Kind of the issue to hear some people talk, you'd think that they are spiritual giants. And they want everybody to think that. But it's all talk and no walk. John said, do not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. It, it's love. We, the reality of your Christian faith is proven by your love. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brothers. First John 3.11 says it this way, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love would not take advantage of each other, not try to fleece the flock. Love each other and go out of your way to do that. What does, okay, you're thinking, okay, got it, Jim. What's love look like? What does agape look like? I thought you'd never ask. 1 Corinthians 13. Feel free to turn from where you're at left a little bit, and you will fall into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And beginning in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Did you bring your Bible? Got to bring your Bible to this church. So I don't have a Bible. There's bookcases on either side. Grab one. It's yours. God bless you. You dominus fobiscum, eat your biscuits. That's Latin. Impressed, aren't you? <laughs> First Corinthians 13, verse 4, love, what's it look like? It, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. 
It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. By the way, the word easily doesn't appear in the original language. It says love is not angered, period. It keeps no record of wrongs. doesn't rub other people's noses in their failures of their past. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Why? God is love. He can't fail. Isn't that cool? He's the one who loves you and has sent his son to purchase you from your sins. His heaven is your destiny. God cannot fail. Ah, that's the God I'm trusting in. Where are, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection, Jesus, when he comes, the imperfect disappears. In other words, the church will need all of the spiritual gifts until Jesus comes back. Because all of us are imperfect. But when that which is perfect comes, we won't need the spiritual gifts anymore. The spiritual gifts are given to help us minister to one another. That's why they're given. It's not meant any, except for the gift of tongues for self-edification. It's equipping you to minister to other people. So don't seek the spiritual gifts if you're not willing to minister to other people. Well, Pastor Jim, I'm an introvert. We can pray that right out of you. Verse 18, as we wrap it up, I pray that you having been established and rooted in Him, established in love, may have all power together with all those saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love, he's on a roll. This is a good run-on sentence here. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. It's not that you can't know it. It's bigger than you can know. It's just bigger than you're capable of figuring out. That you may be filled Filled, 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 like a Christmas goose stuffed with stuffing, filled to overflow. That is God's will for you, to be filled with His Holy Spirit, to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience. That is your inheritance. There's a big difference between power and authority. We often use those words interchangeably. They are not. Power is a D10 caterpillar bulldozer. That's power. But I remember a number of years ago here in Colorado, in Granby, Colorado, there was a guy named Marv Hemeyer who leveled the entire town of Granby in 2004 with his armored Komatsu D355A bulldozer. He had lots of power, no authority. You see the difference? The scene at that time was reminiscent of the 1998 rampage in Alma outside of Breckenridge, this side of Breckenridge, outside of Fair Play, Colorado. Authorities said Tom Leesk killed the mayor and then used the town's own front-end loader to wreck the town's post office, fire department, water department, department, and town hall. Talk about road rage. Wow. Lots of power. No authority. It's like a kid with a cannon. You don't know whether they're going to blow your house to smithereens or do something productive with it. I've had Christians like that in my church before that were powerful Christians. They just didn't know what to do with it. And I was never sure as a pastor, are they going to blow holes in my church and cause the next church split? Or are they powerful enough to let the Holy Spirit focus it and direct it against the true enemy of our souls? You want power and authority combined. Both of these guys had power. And what is with Colorado guys bulldozing everything? I, don't, I, I haven't made that connection just yet, but it seems to happen a lot in our state. But we have power and authority both combined in Christ Jesus. Not the power to destroy or to tear down, but we can tear down spiritual strongholds. We can take authority over the enemy. But the power to build up each other, the power to edify, the power to speak well of each other, the power and the boldness to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. You'll remember the great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. We've been delegated this privilege and responsibility. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you... You, 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 and you 
all go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always. <sighs> Does that make you feel good? Jesus says, I am with you always. He knows what's coming. He knows what you're going through today. He got you through whatever was in your past. Trust Him. Lean on Him, not your own understanding. I pray that you might be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. It's not that you can't know Him, but He fills the universe, created with no more than the span of His fingers. The word filled in verse 19 really carries with it the idea of being dominated by something. Being dominated by something. Filled with something to the point of overflow. You, you think about the person filled with rage, well, they're totally dominated by anger and frustration. The person filled with happiness is usually dominated by joy. Well, let me ask you, are you dominated by God? Are you dominated by His Word? Are you dominated by His Holy Spirit? The answer, if you have said no, is to yield more frequent, with more frequency and greater intensity. That's it. So Paul says, verse 20, and what a way to end up his prayer. Now unto him who was able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine. Now, i got a good imagination, but God says, I want to blow you away. I want, I want this to so blow your mind, you're going to go, wow, is God awesome. To him who is able to do immeasurably more. You need God to move on your behalf? This verse is for you. More than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen simply means, yeah, Lord. Do it. Go for it, Lord. Pour, pour into me. I pray my prayer for you as Calvary Chapel Eastside is that God would strengthen you in the inward person by the power of His Holy Spirit. And that the overflow of that would look like love and joy and peace and patience. Let me encourage you to dive deeply into God's Word daily. A lot of D's in that didn't mean for that to happen exactly, but it just makes good sense. Dive deep into God's Word daily. What's that mean? It means seek His face. It means ask to be filled with His Holy Spirit daily, many times during the day. Look for opportunities then to share the love of God with others. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. Whatever job description you thought you had, wrong. You're here to do the will and work of God these last days. Do it wherever you find yourself. That's your mission field. That's why he placed you there. Well, he placed me in the hospital. Thanks a lot, Pastor Jim. Maybe there's somebody there that needs to be prayed for. Maybe there's somebody there that needed Jesus. And you think it's about you? Maybe it's not. Well, my circumstances are difficult, Pastor Jim. Aren't everybody's? I choose to be focused on God, not me. I choose to trust God rather than throw a personal pity party. I choose to let His love, joy, peace, and strength manifest itself through my life. I choose that. I feed daily on His Word. Every day I start with a cup of coffee and His Word. I think both are totally necessary, by the way. But I only limit myself to one cup of coffee, and then I'll feed on the Word as long as I can. As long as I can. And so how long is that? As much time as it takes to be filled with His Holy Spirit. As much time as it takes for me to feel completely at peace, yielded to His designs for me that day. It may be 10 minutes. It may be four hours. I don't know what your need is, but I got the answer. I got the answer. This is where he will speak to you. 
This is where he will meet your deepest needs, even though you don't know what they are. You may think you do, probably not. He'll meet you here. You pray, you seek his face. He's just waiting for you to show up at his doorstep. What are you waiting for? Turn off the TV. No, you don't need to play more sports. Uh, you don't need to watch more sports or play video games. That's not your greatest need. Can I tell you that? Those are Satan-inspired distractions to keep you from that which is really important. See it for what it is. Spend more time with God. Sink your roots deep into that rich, fertile soil of His Holy Spirit. Let's stand together, shall we? Praise band, come on up. You are what I need, Lord. You are what I need. You've been impressing that upon me since the day you saved me. I have need of you here and now, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I have need of you 24-7. I want you to speak to me in your word through visions and dreams. You said in the last days, your old men had dreamed dreams, young men see visions. Lord, I'd like to see that happening throughout the church. May we be encouraged with the fact that your coming could happen in the next moments. We see Iran and China and Russia all poised to invade the Middle East just as your word predicted centuries ago. Lord, I'm not going to let it freak me out. I'm not going to let it worry or concern me. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for the innocents that have already been I pray that you would reveal yourself to those that need you most, Lord. I pray that you would save Hamas and Hezbollah. I pray that you would save the mullahs in Iran. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in, in ways, Jesus, that they could not refute. And they would, would, like Paul, fall on their knees and prostrate themselves before you and say, I repent of my sins before the living God. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. That's the answer to Middle East peace. It's not demonstrations in the seat or waving Palestinian flags. Their greatest need is you, Lord Jesus. I give you glory and honor and praise for what you're doing these last days. You said when we begin to see all of these things come to pass, look up for your salvation draws near. Come, Lord Jesus. Till then, our eyes are on you.